Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, guys, welcome to another edition of the Agent Investor Podcast. I appreciate everybody right now who's jumping on live. We do these each and every Tuesday at 11 o'clock. I look for feedback from those of you who are in the Agent Investor Facebook group to determine what type of things that you guys need help with related to your agent investor business. As you guys know, at Agent Investor, we're the only brand that focuses on helping agents achieve financial freedom by investing in real estate. We do that by providing in-person events, doing a podcast once a week, posting in the Agent Investor Facebook group, and doing these live streams once a week every Tuesday at 11 o'clock. As we always say at Agent Investor, sales will make you a living, but investing will make you wealthy. Make sure that each and every week you are downloading the latest episode of the Agent Investor podcast. You can do that by going to www.agentinvestorpodcast.com. Being live each and every week on these live streams, you know, you've got to be at a specific place, a certain time. The podcast you can listen to at any point in time, any day, any time. Super easy to do. You can do it while you're driving to and from appointments. You can do it in your car. You can do it while you're at the gym. So make podcasting a big component of how you get educated each and every week for free. Again, that's www.agentinvestorpodcast.com. want to spend some time covering market cycles and how market cycles impact what you should be doing in not only your agent business, but your investing business. And we're going to talk about some of the past market cycles. I want to go back to kind of a 20-year look back to talk specifically about like what happened in the past 20 years in real estate, how that impacted how we should invest, what was easy to invest in, so that you're not swimming against the tide and you're swimming with the tide. Real estate investing is hard enough as it is, but to go with the wing coming at you is never, ever a good idea. So I'm going to go back again, going back 20 years, all the way to 2003, to talk about what the real estate market looked like and what the opportunities were so that we can start to get a glimpse of what we should be focused on in the future. Okay, so I want to go back to... I'm going to call this the 2003 to 2007 era. 2003, 2007, I'm going to name it the high price, low cash flow era. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what was going on from 2003 to 2007. For those of you who are not in the real estate market, you may not know this, but for those of you who were, you'll remember that 2003 and even you know going back a little bit before that, up until about 2007 was the no doc anybody get a loan time period that was when literally you could walk into a mortgage broker's office you could tell them that you had 
no job or no income that you could verify. I, I actually, you couldn't say you had no job, but you could say, I don't have verifiable income. I'm going to put down on a piece of paper what I make, and you're going to give me a loan based on what I'm just telling you that I'm going to make. And they call those stated income loans. So that was a time period. And I don't think this has ever happened before in history and why every time period is a little bit different. But I don't think there was ever a time period in history before that, that you could just write down on a piece of paper what you made and get a loan based on that. So what ended up happening from 2001, 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 was that houses were getting bid up like crazy because people that normally would not have been able to ever buy a house were able to buy a house because, again, they were able to go into their mortgage broker's office and just say what they made and get a loan. So what happened during that time period as a buy and hold investor is that properties got very, very expensive. Now, the prices I'm going to talk about today are going to seem low for today's standards. I'm going to talk about what prices were in 03, 04, 05, 06, and 07. They're going to seem really low, but they were very, very high at that time period. So three families, three unit properties in the greater Boston area were selling somewhere in the five, six, $700,000 range. And again, compared to today, that probably sounds cheap. But flash forward a couple of years to 2008, 2009, 2010, those same three unit buildings that were selling for five or $600,000 back in six and seven were now selling, believe it or not, for 150 to 200,000, sometimes even below 150,000 in 2008, 2009, 2010. But I want to stay focused right now on, again, the era between 2003 and 2007, which was the no doc, no income, no verification era where everybody was getting a loan and houses were getting bid up. So what were the opportunities during that time period? Well, they certainly weren't to buy a multifamily asset and to hold it. So if you weren't able to do buy and hold, or it didn't really make a lot of sense to do buy and hold, then what did make sense? Well, during that era, flipping homes made a lot of sense. Because every time that you bought a home, as long as you were selling it relatively quickly, and you were doing quick turn deals, you were able to make a big profit because the market was going up. From 2003 to 2007, it was really hard to flip properties on the market just like it is today. And you're going to see a good amount of parallels between the 2003 and 2007 era to today, right? 20 years later, you're going to see a lot of parallels. And one of those parallels was it's really hard to buy a property on the multiple listing service and flip it for a profit because the market was so competitive. So in order to get great deals back then, you had to go off market, which means you had to do direct-to-seller marketing. Same stuff that works today, TV, radio, billboards, well, Facebook ads weren't really a thing, Google pay-per-click, et cetera. During this time period, there wasn't a really good uh, opportunity to buy discounted long-term buy-and-hold assets, right? Money was cheap. Mortgage rates were low. Anybody was getting a mortgage, anybody was getting a loan, right? Credit was very loose. Again, there's a lot of parallels between 2003 to 2007 and 20 years later. 
So keep in mind that history never exactly repeats itself, but they say history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Okay. And that's usually very true economically. So let's fast forward again to what happened after this high price, low cash flow era. Let's fast forward to 2008 to 2013. And again, depending on how old you are, you may remember this era very, very well if you were in real estate or even if you were just in the labor market. Well, what happened in 2008, towards the end of 2008, we had the great financial recession. The biggest recession since I've been alive, I'm going to be turning 41 in July. So in 2008, the stock market went more than in half and it, and it happened really, really quickly. Layoffs were tremendous. Labor market was really, really weak. Companies were going out of business. The stock market was down. And what else happened? Well, from 2003, remember from 2003 to 2007, a vast majority of people were going into their mortgage broker saying, hey, yeah, I make $150,000 a year. Give me this loan. I'm going to buy this house. People that were never homeowners before, people that maybe didn't know how to own a property before. Eventually, they had to start paying on those loans. When they started paying on those loans, a lot of people could not afford to make their payments. Another thing that I didn't mention that was also very common during the 2003 to 2007 era was adjustable rate mortgages. Like they were, they were very, very prevalent, right? People wanted lower interest rates in the beginning. Those adjustable rate mortgages, they reset during the 08, 09, 10, 11 12 era. And by the way, I'm calling the 2008 to 2013 era the short sale and foreclosure era. Eventually, they had to start paying on those loans. When they started paying on those loans, a lot of people could not afford to make their payments. Another thing that I didn't mention was adjustable rate mortgages. Like they were they were very very prevalent, right? People wanted lower interest rates in the beginning. Those adjustable rate mortgages, they reset during the 08, 9, 10, 11, 12 era. I'm calling the 2008 to 2013 era the short sale and foreclosure era. So what started to happen somewhere in 2007 is that people started to get behind on their mortgage and then people were losing their jobs and people had adjustable rate mortgages. It was really ultimately the perfect storm. And it was the perfect storm to create this foreclosure and short sale environment. Now, what was working just two or three years ago no longer worked in 2008, 2009, 2010, right? You no longer had the ability. This is one of the only time periods where going direct to seller, doing mailers, doing pay-per-click, doing all the stuff that we talk about today really didn't work. It didn't work because no matter how discounted you could get a seller to sell your property to during that era, there were even cheaper properties at auctions, on HUD home store, REOs, short sales. So during that time period, 2008 to 2013, this phrase cash is king, really, really like there couldn't have been a better time period. And in fact, from 2008 to 2013, almost no matter where you were in the country, no matter what type of real estate asset you bought, you could go right on the MLS. You could basically throw a dart 
at any multi-unit property, at any single family, at any condo, and you were basically getting a deal. You were getting a deal for doing nothing. You didn't have to market the sellers. You could just show up at an auction. And I remember showing up at auctions and having properties in the greater Boston area, three units selling for $100,000, $110,000. Properties that legitimately would sell for a million dollars today were selling for $125,000 at the auction. So again, one of the main principles that I want to kind of address today and make sure that everybody who's listening understands is that depending on what time period you're in, how you invest needs to change. You need to adapt with the market. You need to take what the market is giving you. You need to do stuff that's working today, not stuff that worked three years ago. So again, in 2008, 9, and 10, if you were still spending money going direct to seller, if you were doing stuff that worked in a previous era, you were actually getting worse deals than if you just went on the MLS or just went to auctions. From 2008 to 2013, you didn't need to have a marketing budget. Your marketing budget could be zero. However, during that time period, again, getting back to the cash is king phrase, you needed to have cash. You may have been best off during the 2003 to 2007 era doing quick turn flips and making sure that you had capital on the sideline for the 2008 to 2013 era. Or you might you might have benefited in the 2003 to 2007 era from building up a list of people who give you capital right? Building up uh, capital partners during that time period. Again, I think we may be seeing some parallels from what happened in 2003 to 2007 to what might happen from 2023, maybe to 2027 or 2023 to 2026. And again, nobody knows the future, but again, a lot of times history rhymes. It may not repeat, but it rhymes. Auctions worked. Short sales worked. REOs worked. You didn't need to go off market. Buy and hold flips, small buy and hold flips worked really, really well. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if during the time period from 2008 to 2013, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Imagine during a six-year time period, every single year you bought a three-unit building in Boston. And let's imagine that that property cost you $200,000. Six properties, $1.2 million. What would those six properties be worth today? You would have 1.2 million. You would have paid $1.2 million and you probably would have had about $5 million of real estate. So buying six properties and just waiting five, six, seven, eight, nine years, you could have a $4 million plus net worth. Now let's reverse that for a second. And this is why timing matters so freaking much. Let's say, that you had bought those exact same six properties from 2002 to 2008. You probably would have paid on average for those six properties. You probably would have paid somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, $500,000 each. So that means you would have been into those properties for $3 million instead of waiting and being into them for $1.2 million. A differential of $1.8 million by actually just being patient, okay? And being patient and waiting for the right time. And you guys know that we have a, an event coming up 
next Tuesday at 11 o'clock that I hope that you're all registered for. I've put this, you know, in the agent investor group. I put this on my Facebook profile. I put this on LinkedIn. Next Tuesday at, from 11 to 2 o'clock, we're going to talk about why small multifamily investing may not make sense right now and basically what you should be investing in moving forward. So if you're not yet registered for that event, I would strongly encourage you to do so. Again, it's all over my personal Facebook profile. It's all over the Agent Investor Facebook group. Just click the link and just register. Now, again, going, going back from 2008 to 2013, I mean, you could have you know very easily just bought any property on the MLS, on auction, whatever. Wouldn't it matter? Now, let's flash forward to 2013 to the 2019 era. I'm going to call this the off-market direct-to-seller marketing era. So one other key principle that I want everybody listening to understand and be aware of is that in a lot of cases, people are behind the curve, right? They're doing what somebody did two, three, four years ago. They might be seeing what a successful investor is doing today, and then they do it two or three years into the future. Like I can remember from 2008 to about 2012, I would probably carry somewhere around 30 to 50 short sale listings at any one given point in time. And I remember going on appointments in 2009 and 2010. And I remember going to the seller appointment, talking to them about what a short sale was. And I remember them telling me what other realtors were telling them, that they couldn't sell their home because they didn't have any equity or that they had to just let their house go to foreclosure. And I remember talking to other real estate agents during that era and other real estate agents and investors not understanding the power of short sales, not understanding how to execute short sales. And again, the ironic part, and this is just true in most aspects of investing, not just real estate investing, is that by the time most people in the market understood how to do short sales, call it 2012, 2013, 2014, when every agent, when every investor knew how to do short sales, all of a sudden there weren't any short sales left. And that's kind of the crazy part. So it's really important, again, just a fundamental thing, is that you have to be ahead. doesn't mean you have to be forward-looking 50 years into the future, but you have to understand what is the best way to make money today, not multiple years ago. Because from 2013 to 2019, which I'm going to call, again, the direct-to-seller marketing era. When REOs, when short sales, when they dried up, how were, how were the very best real estate investors getting deals? Doing direct-to-seller marketing. So doing mailers, doing pay-per-click, doing Facebook ads, all of that stuff. And I remember when I first started doing direct-to-seller marketing, I had a marketing budget of like $2,000 to $3,000 a month. And that was enough to keep me busy. And I remember telling other people during that time period that I had a marketing budget and people thought I was crazy spending two, three, four thousand dollars a month, which I eventually, you know, continued to increase over the over the, the next few years. But when I was starting out doing direct to seller marketing, most people thought that that was crazy. But you needed to do direct to seller marketing because guess what? Now at every auction, there were 50 investors. There weren't five investors anymore. There were 50. Right. And on the MLS, 
instead of being able to get a great deal just by clicking around and calling a few agents, that deal was no longer available. So the very best investors from 2013 to 2019 had an off-market marketing system that produced them face-to-face seller appointments. Over that period, they capitalized on those. And during that time period, whether you were going to buy and hold or fix and flip, if you were doing direct-to-seller marketing, you were still able to get really, really good deals, maybe not quite as good as the uh, short sale REO auction days, but still really good deals. That all kind of changed. I'm going to call like the 2020 to 2023 period. I'm going to call that like the investor oversaturation period. A lot of things happened starting in 2020. The one that we obviously all remember and was a huge deal uh, was COVID-19. So there was a lot of you know different things, that different directions that the economy could have went during 2020, right? Whatever it was, February or March, where we were all going to do that kind of two-week hiatus and come back out and everything was going to be good. Of course, that didn't necessarily work out as planned. But what ended up happening was a ton of money got flushed into the economy, right? Which created in 2022, 2023, a whole bunch of inflation that we're living through today. But on the investor side, what ended up happening is a ton of money got pumped into the system, right? People were getting checks in the mail. People were getting, um, you know, money uh, that people that own businesses were getting money. A lot of things happened to produce this inflation. Now, what happens when people get money in their pockets? Well, they typically either spend the money or they invest the money, right? Especially today, keeping money kind of just sitting idle, you know, in a bank account usually doesn't make a lot of sense. So what ended up happening nationally is that a lot of people who had money kept investing in real estate. At the same time, most investors were now aware that you needed to go direct to seller marketing. Uh, There was barely any properties available for sale on the multiple listing service. I mean, we have been in this ultra low, never seen before inventory uh, phase with the real estate market where there's just no available inventory, no deals on the MLS. Like from 2013 to 2019, you might have been able to get a good deal on the MLS if you really worked your butt off and kept trying. Starting somewhere around 2020, nearly impossible to get a good deal on the multiple listing service. And because there was so little inventory available, you had regular first-time home buyers buying multi-unit properties. So let's just say you were a buy and hold investor. And let's just say you were in the Boston area and you wanted to buy a three-unit just to buy it and rent it out. The typical old-fashioned way, you know, probably the easiest way and the most common way to become a millionaire, those properties no longer cash flowed. Because when you're going and you're checking out those three-unit properties that are located in the greater Boston area, you're not just competing with other investors. You're not just competing with people that need cash flow in order to own those assets. You're also competing with first-time home buyers. At the same time, there has been so much education. You know, people like myself have been, you know, up on our soapbox talking about why you need to get off-market deals, talking about the importance of off-market deals. It is now super common 
to go into a seller's living room, say that you sent them a mailer and the seller will show you, hey, I've got this letter and this letter and this letter and this company wants to buy, buy my house and that company and this company called me. This company came into my house the other day. So there's just this oversaturation. At the same token, you've also, a lot of investors or newer investors have seen, wow, somebody bought a three-unit property in Boston, in the greater Boston area, for $200,000 It's now worth a million dollars. Let me buy that property for a million dollars, and a few years later, it's going to be worth $2 million. Now, keep in mind, again, history doesn't always repeat, but it rhymes. And I want to go back to that 2003 to 2007 era that I already talked about, that 2003 to 2007 era where prices were high, people were bidding. It kind of got crazy right before prices started to drop. And again, when people were buying multi-unit buildings in the greater Boston area in 2005 and 2006 for five, dollars $600,000, they were also thinking in their head, hey, just a few years later, these are going to be worth a million bucks because those people in 2006 knew that somebody bought that same property five or six or seven years ago for 200,000, right? So again, history repeats to some extent, it rhymes. I shouldn't say it repeats, it rhymes. During this era from 2020 to 2023, it's been very challenging to fix and flip house, houses pro profitably because there's so much competition. You can't get them in auction anymore. You can't get them in MLS, but even when you're going direct to seller, there's a lot of competition. As I say this, I'm definitely not discouraging people to try to get deals off market. I'm not saying that off market doesn't work. I'm just saying that we're starting to kind of get to a point where the competition is so great that you're kind of, again, you know, fighting against the tide. So that kind of, you know, gets us to the point where, well, what's going to happen now and into the future, which again, we have no crystal ball. Like we cannot say what is going to happen tomorrow. We can't say what's going to happen one year into the future. We have shifted, our company has shifted our investing strategies to adapt, right? So again, when we adapted back in 2008 and 2009 to say, hey, we want to go after short sales and REOs and auctions and nobody was yet. Or when we had adapted and said, hey, Short sales and auctions and foreclosures are over. We need to go direct to seller in 2013. And when we started, when we're adapting now to say, hey, like going off market is much more challenging. How do we still make a ton of money in the investing world from 2023 onward? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday. Um, it's Tuesday at 11 o'clock, 11 to 2 p.m. It's in Braintree at the Widowmaker Brewery. The event is completely for free. Um, for those of you who have not signed up yet, again, I highly encourage you to sign up by going onto the Agent Investor Facebook group, by going uh, onto my personal profile and clicking on the Jot Form link. I think if you're listening to this, there's no doubt you know how to register for that event. But we're going to talk about the stuff that's working today, and then we're going to talk about what we think is going to work in the next several years. And it may not be what you think, and it may not be stuff that I've necessarily talked a lot about on my podcast or on the live stream. It's going to be new information, 
We're going to have three segments. I'm going to be talking at two of them, and we're going to have a guest speaker for one of them. And I want to encourage you all to take the time, you know, in your day to make sure that you attend that event. I know that giving up, you know, two, three hours of your day is a lot, but I also know that picking the wrong strategy is detrimental. Again, thinking back to the 2004, 5, 6, 7 era, when people were rushing into multifamily, buying them up, snapping them up, only to have prices fall by more than 50% just a couple of years later. You have to invest smartly. It's not just about working hard. It's probably more about working smart than it is about working hard. Um, so I want to encourage you all to make sure that you attend. So I want to encourage you guys all to attend that event. Um, and if you guys have any questions in the meantime, let me know. I do love talking about this market stuff. I think it's so, so interesting to think about like all the economic variables and how they're going to impact stuff. You know, how is... What's going to happen with inflation and how is it going to, you know, impact things in the next few years? Where are mortgage rates going to go, right? Where are mortgage rates going to go in the next year to two years, right? While not 100% predictable, you can definitely forecast out what direction they might be going. And you can definitely forecast out, you know, where inflation, the, the direction for inflation. You can definitely forecast out where unemployment might go, right? Just simple example, it's very, very unlikely that unemployment is going to go lower, right? It's very likely over the next two or three years that it's going to go up. And how does that impact how we invest, right? So whether it's employment, inflation, mortgage rates, buyer sentiment, affordability, rent versus own, we're going to be talking about all of that stuff next Tuesday at 11 o'clock. So again, I want to thank you guys for jumping on today. And again, I want to encourage you all to make sure that you're listening each and every week to the Agent Investor Podcast, www.agentinvestorpodcast.com. Even if you can't attend all of our in-person events by listening and tuning into the Agent Investor Podcast, you're going to get a ton of great information that you can absorb, whether you're just driving in your car, whether you're at the gym, no matter what you're doing. So I appreciate all of you guys jumping on today, and I will see you next Tuesday at 11 o'clock in Braintree. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education strategies and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.